Paxlovid, what a horrible drug. 44 severe drug reactions, okay? Ivermectin has zero drug, severe drug reactions, interactions. And one of those interactions is with statins, which is the most widely prescribed drug in our country. And you cannot take statins with Paxlovid. Toxic to the liver and kidneys. It contains an HIV drug with a black box warning in it. It leaves a very metallic taste in the mouth. It's poorly tolerated. It's been shown to have increased risk of rebound infection. And then a treatment course costs about $530. So really a trash drug. Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then shipped to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value, and it's a delicious piece of meat. Check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. Mycleanbeef.com dot com slash after hours. Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff. On this podcast, you will be encouraged to question everything and to have the courage to stand for the truth. And now, to your host, Dr. Sigaloff. Thank you for joining me again. I want to give a quick shout-out to all of my Patreon supporters. We have an anonymous donor giving $20.20 a month. We have the Plandemic Repimando rank at $17.76 with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Dr. Anna, Frank, Brian, Shell, Megan, and Brantley. We have the self-made $10 level with Kevin and Pat and Bev. We have the Refine Not Burn tier with... Linda, Emmy, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, Ken, Rick, and Mary. Addison Mulder made his own $3 level, and Frank made his own $1.50 level. And then we have the Courage is Contagious tier at $1 a month with Amanda, Jay, Spessnasty, Durrell, Susan, BB King, and Caleb. And I just want to remind everybody, if you're interested in switching to a new way of shopping, that you can cut some of these big box market stores out, go to patriotswitch.com slash after hours. That's patriotswitch.com slash after hours, and we'll get you information about that, and you can join my team. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. Now, she is, has learned all about controversy over the past few years with ivermectin and other issues like that. You may have heard her in the news recently. Her case is continuing to go, which is amazing because most of these cases are being stopped and they're being dismissed before they even get any sort of ruling on. But Dr. Bowden, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sam. Tell me what's 
how your story started and then lead us to today. I'm a ear, nose, and throat doctor. I'm in Houston, Texas, solo practice. And when COVID started, I had patients coming to see me because they were sick, because ENTs do treat respiratory illnesses. And I had access to a test for COVID that was a saliva test. And so my little practice exploded because people didn't want the swabs. They'd come to me to test using the saliva test. And I, when they tested positive, I'd say, go see your primary care doctor. As we all know, the primary care doctors weren't doing anything. They were shutting their doors. Uh, they were telling patients, just do nothing until you can't breathe. And that didn't sit well with me. So initially, I just did things like breathing treatments. I would do some steroids and antibiotics. Then monoclonal antibodies came around. So I started giving monoclonal antibodies, and those worked really well. But then the government started to ration them, and it became more and more difficult to get. So I turned to ivermectin. I did my own research. I dug into it very deeply. And after I was satisfied that it was safe, then I tried it out. I was a little worried because monoclonal antibodies worked so well, and I wasn't sure if ivermectin was going to work. But what I found was that it did work. And I didn't always use ivermectin or I used other things in combination. But so far, I've treated now over 6,000 patients, and everybody that's received early treatment is alive and well. One of the things that happened during this time is because I was doing a lot of testing, I started seeing patients and noting whether or not they were vaccinated, the positives or the not positives. And what I found was that people that were vaccinated were getting COVID just as often, and they were just as sick, if not sicker. So I started speaking out about this. And in Houston, the hospital here, Methodist Hospital, is the first hospital in the country to mandate the vaccine. And they were quite proud of this. And I had privileges there, but I was very loosely affiliated with them. I'd actually never used the hospital. I just had it as a just-in-case situation if I had a patient that needed to be hospitalized. But I started speaking out about the vaccine mandates because I had patients coming to me very distraught who were scared to get the shot. And I was seeing how it wasn't effective. I hadn't seen a lot of complications from it, but I also saw that it wasn't, didn't seem to be working. And I actually went to Methodist about this. I'm like, I'm seeing all these breakthrough cases. Are you seeing the same thing? And they just said, oh, no. They dismissed me. So I just started speaking out on Twitter. I said things like vaccine mandates are wrong and ivermectin works. So I was actually pretty conservative and cautious about what I said back then. But they didn't like it. And they suspended my privileges, and they said it was because I was spreading dangerous misinformation. And the way I found out was through a reporter. So I got a text message from a reporter on a Friday afternoon asking me to confirm, is it true that you've lost your that your privileges have been suspended at Methodist? And I did a double take. I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I go to Twitter and they're tweeting about it. The, so my world changed after that. I had the media all after me, uh, but I have decided to fight back. Uh, here we are. Wow. So you're telling me that this hospital institution, the Methodist Hospital, which is big in Texas, I'm from Texas originally, and instead of telling you, hey, we're going to suspend you and keeping it quiet and respectful of your privacy, they went to the media. Exactly. It's not wow. been done before. To my knowledge, I, I'm not aware of any other doctor being treated this way by a hospital, a hospital that I didn't even use. So it's, it's not like I was in their administration or 
it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately, I've become familiar with some legal doctrinal terms, and one of them is the chilling effect. And what the idea is, what they do is they make an example out of someone like you, someone like me, so that other doctors don't dare speak. We see this in some religious communities where if you say something, you'll be literally thrown off a building or crucified or killed if you say something that goes against a particular religion. And that's the chilling effect. That's the idea that everyone is too afraid to say the truth because of what could happen. And that's clearly what they're doing to you. They call those struggle sessions, right? In communist China, where they, they make a, they publicly shame you to keep other people from doing the same thing. And that's exactly what they did. But they stepped on the wrong hornet and I am fighting back as hard as I can. I'm not giving up. I love it. And so you've sued some people, is that correct? And who yes. are you suing? So I sued Methodists. I sued, first I sued Methodists to try to get their financial records because they're a nonprofit. Their last balance sheet showed that they have over $13.5 billion in assets. So we're trying to figure out who's paying them, why they're the first hospital in the country to mandate the shots. Unfortunately, that suit was dismissed and I, my fund funding ran out. So that's on hold, but also suing them for defamation. And that suit was also dismissed, but I'm, that's on appeal. But the biggest lawsuit is against the FDA, and that's with Dr. Paul Merrick and Robert Apter. And it's over the ivermectin controversy, although it extends beyond ivermectin in a lot of ways. It's basically the FDA sent out that infamous tweet of the attractive healthcare worker nuzzling the horse. And you don't even need to know the caption, but the caption was, you're not a cow, you're not a horse. Seriously, y'all stop it. And that tweet went viral, and you know, there's also a lot of information on their website basically telling you not to take ivermectin for COVID. And the FDA, that's not their role. Their role is to approve medications, make sure um, medications are being marketed appropriately, but they have no say over how drugs are used. They're not allowed to dictate or uh, direct patients or physicians on how to use the medications, but that's that's what they're doing. And because of what they did, we've had issues with pharmacies not filling. We've had complaints against us from the medical boards. We've had the issue with Methodist Hospital suspending my privileges. So it was a, a avalanche of issues following that. Um, and initially, the, the case was dismissed. But we just went on appeal, the Fifth Circuit, and they uh, allow are allowing us to move forward. So they basically dismissed our motion, the motion to dismiss. So now it goes back to the courts. Before you get too far along, you mentioned something about marketing of drugs in the FDA. And I want to ask you this question. I already know the answer to this. But for the listener's perspective, marketing of drugs. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that if they're in charge of the marketing of the drug, does that mean that they can tell the doctor what to do? No, it's just that they want to make sure that the drug is being marketed in an accurate fashion, right? And I don't know too much about the details on that, but they are not supposed to tell patients, okay, don't take ivermectin for COVID. That's going beyond what their role is because every patient is unique and it's really, you. there's not a one size fits all approach and you're a doctor, it's you, there's a reason that we sit down in a room with a patient and have a private conversation 
and it, every patient is a little bit different. There are nuances to it, and we don't need the government telling every patient and every doctor how to treat every disease. What I really want to ram home for the listener is that the marketing of drugs has to do with the pharmaceuticals, not with us as doctors. We as doctors use medications off-label all the time. 30 40% of the medications we use are used off-label. But the marketing has to do with the pharmaceutical companies, which is interesting because these pharmaceutical companies are are saying to use Paxlovid off-label. They, they've actually recently got in trouble from maybe two years ago or a year ago, got in trouble for suggesting it be used inappropriately, which is off-label use, and they cannot do that. We as physicians can. Yeah, exactly. And Paxlovid, what a horrible drug. <sighs> if I may, I will talk about Paxlovid for a second. Please. 44 major, 44 severe drug reactions. Okay. Ivermectin has zero drug, severe drug reactions, interactions. And one of those interactions is with statins, which is the most widely prescribed drug in our country, and you cannot take statins with Paxlovid. It is toxic to the liver and kidneys. It contains an HIV drug with a black box warning in it. Uh, it leaves a very metallic taste in the mouth. It's poorly tolerated. It's been shown to have increased risk of rebound infection. And then a treatment course costs about $530. Wow, so I thought Ivermectin really was expensive. Drug. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's, I'm sure it's cut, the government, it's the tax, taxpayers paying for that. Wow, that's, and it's EUA, which is, blows my mind that they're still allowing things to be emergency use authorization when there is no more emergency. Exactly. The big news that I really want to have you talk about, because this is really big, and you mentioned it, is that tweet. And that tweet was mentioned specifically in court in your appeal. And the FDA lawyer said something that was quite interesting. It's almost like they're standing there pointing both directions saying he did it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're claiming that they, they're admitting, claiming that they've never uh, stopped doctors from prescribing it and they don't have the authority to stop doctors from prescribing it. But yet the judge, Judge Elrod was great with her questions she basically really challenged them and said, stop it. Is that a command or is that just a suggestion? Because in, in English class, if you said stop it, that would be a command, right? And because they kept saying, oh, no, it's just a quip, just a little funny, casual remark. But sadly, that remark caused a lot of problems. Yeah, it's interesting because that tweet and that remark, I believe, is part of what my hospital commander at the time used to make her decision as a nurse to ban the off-label use of ivermectin, which I, I don't know if it caused or allowed the deaths of any patients, may have caused or allowed the deaths of many patients. I do know my hospital commander specifically called our pharmacist and said, do not dispense those prescriptions that Dr. Sigaloff prescribed. I was on the phone today with a pharmacist who cited the FDA as a reason that they wouldn't dispense the medication. Wow. In Texas, where the appeal just happened, not even maybe almost exactly a month ago, a couple days longer than a month ago. Yeah, no. And it's a lot of pointing fingers. Oh, it's our policy. It's our policy. Who? Ours. Yeah. And you know, I keep saying, what's going to happen? Are you going to, can I send a patient to you when they get worse? Because since you're in charge, right? Since you're determining what they can take. 
Yeah, I've had a, a pharmacist scream at me and slam a phone down for hydroxychloroquine. And I get it if you're uncomfortable to prescribe something, because there's medications that I'm not comfortable prescribing. And I don't scream at the patient and slam a door in their face. I tell them, these are the risks and benefits of that. I, for my either medical reasons or personal religious beliefs, don't prescribe that. Let me get you in touch with a doctor that can. Yeah, not, the pharmacist hung up on me today, too. I started asking her about the LD50 of ivermectin. <laughs> <laughs> I told her what it was, and I told her what the ivermectin, and she hung up on me. She didn't have an answer. What is the LD50 of ivermectin? Is it as much as your stomach can fit? It's, it's 25 milligrams per kilogram. Wow. And dosage we use for uh, COVID is 0.4 milligrams per kilogram. 25 milligrams per kilogram is an LD50 means the lethal dose for 50% of the population. So that means there's another 50% that could go all the way up to f maybe 50 milligrams per kilogram. Right, we're, right. We're talking about entire kilograms. <laughs> That's a meal of ivermectin. Yeah, it's, wow. a, it's an enormous amount. And that's one of the things I did before I started using it is I searched the literature for intentional or accidental overdoses to see, because you look for any drug, you can find any drug, you'll find overdose information, right? Whether it's accidental or intentional. And I couldn't find anything on ivermectin. So I thought that was a good sign. A drug that is over the counter in many third world countries and in Tennessee and New Hampshire. And I'm not saying that Tennessee and New Hampshire are third world countries. I'm saying they're probably actually ahead of the rest of the states. Exactly. Yeah. What is, what are some of the things that you can talk about? Cause I understand it's a case still in play and you've appealed now, but can you get into some more of the details? Were you in court when the FDA lawyer said that they can't restrict doctors prescribing? Yes, it was wonderful to hear that. <laughs> it was, was the highlight of the last three years was hearing that, hearing the judge questioning that lawyer was wonderful. And it's it's on Twitter. So there are recordings of it here and there. Uh, but the judge was wonderful in the way that she just brought out brought out the ludicrousy uh, of it all with her questioning. So now, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen next because there's a couple different directions it could go and it's hard for me to, uh, and I, I feel like I've had to get a crash course in, in law and the legal field. I don't, yes. I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm learning yes. all sorts of things. And so I have to be careful what I say because I just don't know. Yeah, no, I enough. understand that. And what's interesting about this is even though all the lawyers that I've interacted with, and I got about a message from three or four lawyers when your case, when that information came out about it, and they're like, look at this, it was a joyous day for all of us. But there's certain angles that you and I can see that the lawyer can't because there's things that we understand that they don't know, don't have exposure to. And mm -hmm. it's, and so we, that is one thing that all the doctors standing on the right side of history, as we will just determine in the future, that. There's just, there's, there's so many different angles that you can come at this. And there's stuff that we've had to, we've had to learn a lot of law, unfortunately, to be able to defend ourselves, whether it be with the pharmacist that you're talking to and saying, okay, you want to take the responsibility of this patient having a bad outcome because you're practicing medicine now without a license. Mm -hmm. You're not just preventing right. me from doing it. You're actually doing it. Yeah. No, I, I wish we could figure out a way to deal with these pharmacists because I don't, it, it differs by state, but in Texas, they're allowed to refuse 
the medication. They're legally, there's, they're protected because of the abortion pill. And that is, that's the, what they're using to defend us. But that's not the spirit of that law. As we both know that they're abusing the spirit of that law. Right. And I don't know the, the order number. And I believe I mean, it's been a while since I looked at this, but I believe there's an executive order from Greg Abbott, the governor, who he said that you can't prevent use of any medication off label basically for, and he was, that was for hydroxychloroquine and for ivermectin so that pharmacists couldn't say, oh, it's not indicated for that. So we can't dispense it. And he gave this order saying that you can't prevent that. You also shouldn't be able to take doctors to the medical board and destroy them because they gave medications that are used off label. Yeah. I need to dig that up because yeah, it's still something I'm dealing with daily. Yeah. I think I found if I can find it again, I'll, I'll send it to you, but I believe it was a year or two ago that I found it because I was trying to defend myself the first time I was suspended. I've been suspended twice now, which is the second suspension was illegal and unauthorized from the start. Yeah. Are you able to practice right now or how's so I'm completely out of the military. I'm just waiting on an Arizona osteopathic license, which is just administrative reasons. There's no controversy that's keeping that from happening. But is it a problem that you're suspended? Is that? I, I hope it doesn't become a problem because I just turned in a, a summary yesterday of all of the issues showing how they, they've, they've retaliated against me multiple times in multiple ways and from different areas as I'm a whistleblower, two times over whistleblower. One where I blew the whistle on my hospital commander not following the Secretary of Defense guidance on vaccine exemptions and mm -hmm. on the DMED data. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's, and my lawsuit, as I'm speaking on September 15th, because this is going to come out at a later date, my lawsuit against the Secretary of Defense, I had six courses of action and causes of action. And the most recent date that we had, the judge threw out five of them leaving only one behind, which there's some egregious things that they've done to me. And it's, I hope to make change for all of the doctors that are in the army so that they don't have the chilling effect on them. Yeah. I was talking to somebody who's at the VA today and he, he said, yeah, I don't think my doctor could prescribe ivermectin for me. It'd be a huge, is that the true? If you tried to, through the VA system, tried to prescribe ivermectin, would you be flagged and I don't know anything about the VA system. It is different than the army system. So the issue that I had was TRICARE would not cover hydroxychloroquine unless they had a prior authorization. And that's been for years. And so I just gave the patient mm -hmm. a hand script and I said, here, go fill this. You have to pay cash. And they happily took it to a pharmacy and the pharmacist, most of them happily filled it. Cause capitalism is a great way to run the country. Unfortunately, it's not really a pure capitalist society right now. It's more of a crony capitalism where the guys who are at the top can pay to have things done, be done the way they want. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, so in the army, the, in the military, do you have military pharmacies or do they go to any pharmacy? Uh, most posts have a pharmacy there in the clinic. And so if it's covered by TRICARE, then they'll just give it to them. And that's what I that's how the ivermectin was for a while until my hospital commander said no. And she took the responsibility on herself as she signed that memo herself and did not reference any higher authority, but she did reference the fact that she was a registered nurse and she uh, was able to review the information and make medical decisions as a registered nurse, which is well outside the scope of practice for a registered nurse. And I went to the FBI 
I went to the local police, the local sheriff. I went to Texas Medical Board. I went to Texas Attorney General. I went to Arizona Attorney General, Arizona Medical Board, Arizona Nursing Board, and to CID, which is like the Army's version of uh, the FBI. And everyone blew me off. No one cared that we had a nurse on post using her military authority inappropriately practicing medicine without a license. That's unbelievable. It's awful. And so I still hope that the justice is appropriately handled and that she goes through the, the legal system at some point through this process, through all the uh, different lawsuits that I will be filing in the future, and that the public is protected. Moreover, that's, that's the biggest thing is we we don't allow people who don't have a the ability to practice medicine, whether it be doctors or nurse practitioners or PAs, physicians assistants, to practice medicine without a license because it's dangerous. They don't know how these medications work. Right. They don't know how to make a shared decision-making process. They just, she just commanded that these decisions were made. Yep, yep. It's very scary what's happening to our medical system. So a lot of third-party interference. Exactly. How are most of your patients, is, have you noticed a some patients leaving or many patients say, hey, doc, keep doing it, keep fighting? Everybody knows where I stand. So I don't see the people that don't agree with me. They sure. don't come. <laughs> yeah, it's always fine in my office because people like me, you know, they come to me because, but it's just, it's weird going outside of my office more than anything because I have people that I used to be friends with that don't speak to me anymore and doctors that don't distance themselves from me. And I get, I am self-conscious when I go to sport, my kids' sporting events and school stuff. And so the office part's fine. It's just outside the office that's uh, unpleasant. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the good things that's come out of this. I always like to look for the good things that are happening in the terrible tragedies of COVID and all that. But the mask has come off people. I know who my friends are, and I know who my friends aren't. <laughs> and it's been shocking at times, and it's sad at times. But... It's sad about people that you just didn't realize, right? But yes, there's a whole new crop of people that I like now. So yeah. friends and with. I and I'm sure you're similar in this, that like I've had relationships with people now because of COVID that I never would have met otherwise. And it's just amazing how we can bond on these issues. Agree. Yes. But it is, it feels very black and white. And I don't know, I, maybe I'm sure there's a population out there that really doesn't care about COVID anymore, but it doesn't seem that way. At least, I don't know if you feel that way. I feel like People feel so strongly about it either way. Yeah, I wouldn't care about it if I wasn't so wrapped up in it anymore. My wife is definitely done with caring about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the unfortunate part is it's become a litmus test. It's okay. Is that doctor still saying we should take these shots? Right, exactly. After we've, yeah. we, we know that it's a bioweapon by public source documentation, go back and check out episode 33 if you have questions about that, where I show you the redaction codes they used. They say, we redacted this part because it would inhibit the application of a state-of-the-art U.S. weapons system. And those are the redaction codes used on Pfizer documents that were retrieved through FOIA from, by Judicial Watch. It's shocking. Yeah, yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> 
I'll send you a link to it after this. It's yeah, it's I put it up a year over a year ago, and it's so the Bravo four B four redaction code means that it would inhibit the application of a state of the art U.S. weapon system. And some of those documents that I used in that episode were re-released about a year later, and one of the testing sites was exposed, and it was Shanghai, China. Imagine that. And all of the lipid nanoparticle information was what was, not all of it, most of it was what was redacted. Where it came from, some of the more complex names of these lipid nanoparticles. They didn't really care about the mRNA so much. It was the lipid nanoparticle that was redacted. Why do you think that? I think the lipid nanoparticle is the bioweapon, and I think it's 50% or more of the problem. That's interesting. Not the spike protein. And I think the spike protein may cause... Yeah, I think it may cause some problems, and I think it's 50% or less of the problem, and may also be a red herring to throw people off the scent. Because if you notice a lot of the new vaccines that are old vaccines, they're putting these lipid nanoparticles in them. Why? Yeah. And one of the lipid nanoparticles, or two of them, DSPC and DSPE, I found a a patent at the U.S. Patent Office that said that they were specifically designed to cross the blood-brain barrier. That's not good. That's a difficult thing to do. Why would you put it in this shot that's allegedly staying in our arm? Exactly. You have, no in, you have no intention of it staying in our arm. The intent was for it to go to the brain. That's awful. I did not know that. And that, that was actually the basis for the medical exemptions I was providing was these lipid nanoparticles, uh, I think it was ALC0315, ALC03, oh, and then... Um, DSPE, sorry, I'm forgetting one of the, one of the numbers. Uh, but if you look at the safety data sheets, it says for experimental use only, not for human use, not for veterinary use. Wow. And just because the FDA says that they're okay does not mean that they're actually safe. And they had redacted or classified toxicology reports on the safety data sheets, meaning we, someone's classifying this. We don't know who. Hmm. That's awful. Yeah. And that's what I've contributed to this fight is that information. That was the angle that I was looking at this from. And that's what I was able to put a affidavit in Robert V. Austin, which unfortunately has now been dismissed like many of these because there's no more mandate for the army. It's equivalent to saying, your honor, he burned my house down. Sam, you don't have a house because he burned it. Yeah, but you don't have a case because you don't have a house. He couldn't have burned it because right. it's gone. You don't have one. crazy. Do you yeah. think they'll bring back the mandates in the military? Uh, no, they, they got rid of them, but there is lots of concern that with this new strain of COVID shot or whatever it is, that there'll be another mandate soon. And the legitimate concern is they have the mandate on the books long enough to either pressure people to get it or to kick out 8,500 plus troops out of the entire military, which is what happened, and then get rid of it so that all those cases become moot. And then reenact it again once they've all become mm. moot and out of the court. Oh. When all of these have so been what, illegal how, since the start. So 85 members of the military were discharged? 8,500, so 8,000, over 8,500 have been discharged for refusing to get the vaccine. Wow. And, that's, and what, how many, do you know what the percentage is? I, I don't. Like Those are numbers of people specifically discharged for not getting the vaccine. But I know for a fact that here at Fort Huachuca, Major General Hale was kicking people out because they, quote, refused to train. 
and they refused to train because he would not allow them into the schoolhouse unless they had the shot. So they weren't allowed in because they didn't have the shot, but they were discharged as a refusal to train. So those don't go towards that 8,500. Right, that's awful. So is that a different, is that, it says it, is it that, I don't know much about the military, so I may be asking a, a very stupid question. No, but, no. So is that a dishonorable discharge? If it, you refuse to train, is that a big deal? It might be less than honorable or honorable under general. So there's honorable under, and I may have this wrong, please don't torture me in the comments. <laughs> honorable, le general under honorable, and then less than honorable, or other than honorable, and then less than honorable. Less than honorable is equivalent to a felony. Like you lose your ability to purchase firearms and things like that. I did interview okay. a doctor recently and he was a family medicine doc, a DO just like myself. We actually went to the same residency program, never met each other. And he quit wearing the mask because he didn't want to lie anymore, and they gave him an other than honorable discharge, which affects benefits like VA benefits and GI Bill benefits and other benefits other than just potentially having difficulty getting employed. That's awful. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover before we... Yeah, we've covered the gist of my all my drama. <laughs> Hopefully, it's good news next time, right? Yeah. And do you have a do you have a website or any sort of place where people can get information on you or where they can support you or give you encouragement? Uh, my website is breathemd.org, and then I'm active on Twitter, and that's at mdbreathe. All right. Thank you so much. And keep up the fight. You're not alone. We're all of us on this side are fighting and standing with you. And I'm proud to be standing next to doctors like you and anyone else who's refused the shot. And even those that got the shot and who, who didn't know what the shot was and then now have learned and they're standing on this side. I'm proud to be standing next to all of you. Likewise, I feel very much the same. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Just a reminder for everyone out there, the duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. Doesn't dinner sound great as it's cooking? This dinner is from Riverbend Ranch, which always provides prime or high choice has never been given hormones, never been given antibiotics, never been given mRNA vaccines. It's raised in the USA. It's processed in the USA. In fact, it's fully vertically integrated, which means that they own the cow that gives birth to the calf. It's raised on their fields and then taken to their butcher and then shipped to you. And if we compare what we can buy from Riverbend Ranch to four other major state companies that sell bundles that have ribeyes and other meat in it, it can be as much as $184 to $59 less expensive. It's a great price value and it's a delicious piece of meat. Check out mycleanbeef.com slash after hours. That's mycleanbeef.com slash after hours.
mycleanbeef.com slash after hours.